Hey there, PDX Real Estate Podcast listeners. Before we get into today's show, I've got a real quick announcement for you, and that is that my company, TTM, is still looking to buy fixers and teardowns all over the Portland metro area, even in this post-corona economy that we have going on right now. So if you have anything that comes across your desk that may not fit the retail market, we'd love to hear from you. All you got to do is go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com. There's a contact us tab, fill out the information, submit it to us, and we'll give you a call. Or if you'd like to, just call us at the office, 503-224-6200, and we'd love to chat with you about the property. Now, let's get into the show. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. We're live. All right, everybody. Welcome. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast. It's Friday. That's my radio voice now that we're live. But uh, I want to welcome you guys. It's a beautiful, sunny week. We got lucky, let me tell you. But before we talk about all that and plenty more, we welcome my co-host to the show. What's going on, Steve-O? What's going on, Joe? Hey, Tucker. Hey, everybody. Yeah. Wow. What weather? 80s this weekend. 83. We should be doing this outside. We yeah. should. I will tell you, I got the pool fired up. Uh, so do I. Yeah. Nice. So I am uh, ready for the weekend yeah. <laughs> here in April in the pool. So we're, we're lucky, lucky. I sat outside yesterday, enjoyed the sun, and I'm sure a lot of people are probably doing that today. But um, we got a lot to talk about beyond that today. Crazy market, a lot of topics. So I don't know, Steve, why don't you kick us off? Let's let's do a little market recap here first. Let's talk about what's going on out there in the wacky world of real estate. Yeah, it's uh gosh, Tucker, we've been we've been doing this podcast now, what, six years? And uh we've we've seen banana markets, but like this is the the ultimate banana market, right? Um I mean, and it's it's it seems to be you know, it doesn't, what's different this time that's, that's, that's unique um, is remember another, you know, how we'd always talk about how markets would ebb and flow. Like it would get really, really hot, really hot. And the sellers would start to get greedy because they, they knew how hot it was. And so everything would be overpriced and that would kind of put the brakes on the market because then things would slow down. And then, and then that would happen again. That would be the 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 ebb, and then it would it would flow again. But we're just not seeing that. I mean, now sure, I'm sure there's pockets of um, overpriced homes out there, but I mean, gosh, stuff that seems like it's overpriced is still going way way over asking price. I mean, and and let's be clear, the inventory was half a percent. I mean. Can that go negative? <laughs> yeah. Can we can we start to go backwards on that? Obviously, we can't. But but I mean, um, it doesn't. There's nowhere lower to go. I mean, I mean, we're we're uh, scraping the bottom of the barrel with uh, the percentage of inventory. Um, I made a post in the last since our last podcast. I made a post where I was just like, look, I think it's inflation, and and that to me makes the most sense in what we're seeing. I mean. Let's be clear. There's been there's been funny money in the system for you know the better part of a year now. Whether it's stimulus, trillions of dollars in stimulus, 
loans, PPP loans. I mean, just lots of lots of printing of money. There's been um, so the, the Fed has made it clear we're expecting inflation, but we want a little bit and then we'll deal with it. Well, to the best of my knowledge, and I don't claim to be an economist, but I'm pretty sure housing isn't in the indexes for inflation. They, they withdraw a couple of things. They, they withdraw um, gas, oil, and uh, food, I believe. And, and housing is not included either. So, so, I mean, this is the biggest asset class out there, housing. And doesn't it make sense when you stand back and think about it? Like, if, if money is suddenly becoming less valuable, meaning a dollar doesn't go as far, wouldn't that create an environment where homes are just, just skyrocketing in price and offers are just crazy out of control with no end in sight, right? I mean, um, I literally, and I'll end with this and let you guys chat. In the last th four months, let's say since December, I have watched my personal house go up about $150,000, okay? Watching your own house go up that much in price is like watching hair grow. It normally doesn't happen, right? It's just not something you can observe. But I watched comp after comp, including ones that I sold in, in the area. And I'm like, whoa, if that's selling for that, then this house that I thought was X is way up here, right? And that's how crazy the last four months have been. And, and the only way I can explain that is inflationary. But what are you, what are you guys thoughts? So on? you sold your house in this market. So not only were you, you know, on the realtor yeah. side, you were on the, I own the house side. I mean, what, what did that experience feel like from that perspective or both of those perspectives really? Actually, it was, it was pretty good. Um, I'm not, I, I bet. I'm <laughs> not trying to cast myself to be like a greedy seller. But uh, honestly, for me, uh, what made a difference was um, I had a super respected uh, realtor, owns her own company. I love her to death. She's a friend of mine. And I needed uh, sort of a unobjective view of my house. And it, and it boils down to the nobody has ugly children, right? But the fact of the matter is there's a lot of ugly kids out there, right? <laughs> I've been in this house for 16 years. I didn't want to uh, appraise it myself. And I didn't want anyone from my company to give their opinion just because of the relation. And uh, she said, I think you're worth this. We were, we were right on this, the same, you know, right on par. And she said, I, I think I even have someone for it. And for me, it was dealing with someone that I trust respectable, professional. Uh, she told me a little bit about the buyers and I thought they sounded pretty cool too. And, you know, she wins the tie. If any other offer comes in, you know, tie goes to someone I know who's professional. That means a lot to me. Uh, when, but let's, let's uh, quick question. Um, yeah. When she was helping you price the house, did she knew, know at that point she had a buyer for it? No. Okay. But no. so she came to your house. She goes, Hey, I think it's worth X. She's very experienced in the area. I know who you're talking about. We've recently done a deal with her as well. Um, and then she left, you listed at that price and then she had a buyer for it. Yeah. And basically we knew it was going to go um, over and we just needed kind of a, a starting price that wasn't super artificially low. 
I didn't really want to push the envelope. I'd rather give a good offering than these people that push the envelope and uh, put it on the market. I was kicked out of my house for like three straight days. Um, lots of people uh, had interest. And at the end of the day, uh, I her offer was great. She's professional and I'd rather work with her than anybody else. So. And they were way over, correct? Yeah, yeah, 65 yeah. grand over. Yeah. And, uh, That'll do, so, it. Interesting, yeah. That'll do it. Yeah. Interesting story. These people are from Arizona and uh, they're coming over. So we get to stay there for two months. They're coming over. We're having dinner together. And this is the first time they've ever seen the inside of the house. Really? Isn't that weird? Yeah, that doesn't happen very often. I've it done doesn't. a lot of sight unseen offers, but usually during the inspection period, they come to town and. Yeah. And so, um, but, you know, I'm homeless, right? I need to buy something in a week or I need to rent something or put everything in storage and just, you know, Airbnb. Live in that, live in that office and use that kitchen. Live in this office, <laughs> you know, put a little pot over here. Um, but what's interesting is, you know, when you see people that sell stocks and securities, you know, they're all wealthy and you look at their track record, they buy something for this much. And then in four days it goes to here and then they sell always at the right time, buy always at the right time. Well, I'm noticing more and more realtors listing their own homes right now. That kind mm -hmm. of tells me something that, mm -hmm. you know, realtors don't like to talk about bad news because that makes it true. Not that it's going to happen with or without us talking about it, but um, I, I, I see stuff happening. I see, you know, the, the, the rates were going up. They came back down recently, but they were going up and they were sticking. And that's the sign that inflation might be happening. There's more and more inventory hitting the market. You know, there was like two a week and, and now you're seeing like six a day. And, uh, you know, for defined areas. And I think uh, it's going to run its course. And I, I think we're going to have a different market in about six months. I'm not saying gloom and doom, but I'm saying it's, it's I notice it. I've been through what a, a few of these, you know, peaks and valleys in my life. And I, I can't see people writing a hundred grand over ask and guaranteeing appraisals and wash your car for three years and all the whatever they do i just can't see that happening much you see longer. joe there's something i want to i want to point something out that that i find interesting about your personal story about your house this very savvy agent who knows that market very well came in helped you price it not knowing she had a buyer for it later and said this is probably the right price and then left and then came back when you're on the market, when you were getting a lot of other interest and she went without even flinching, their buyer went 65 grand, you know, almost what, eight, 7% over that price that she helped you determine that was probably right. That to me is the craziness of the market, right? Like she knew what the right price was for that house, but it doesn't matter in, in this market. And that's where this market's just the ultimate bananas is like yeah. money doesn't matter anymore. It, it's just it's, it's monopoly money. <laughs> well, it's and I, I knew it would go higher too. Like a lot of sellers who don't like to price it because they're like, I want to price it as high as I can. I knew it would escalate higher um, with tons of offers and, and interest. It just, uh, anyway, I, I sympathize for all the hardworking uh, buyer brokers out there that, you know, to get 
five deals in escrow, you might be 25 offers in the can before you get, you know, you might have to write five offers for each buyer before one sticks. Here's a counter argument for you, Joe, because I've been thinking about this a lot, right? I'm in the business of forecasting. Am I going to step in shit or am I going to step in gold, right? Like that's basically my business. And, you know, I agree there has been a larger influx of people who are looking to cash in their lottery ticket. Cause let's face it, that's what you did, right? That's what a lot of people are doing, but the absorption rate on a lot of those lottery tickets is high, like really high still. And so for the, the mania to stop, we have to have that inventory build. And we went backwards last month from a month to a half a month. Uh, and I thought, okay, maybe that's the inflection point to start to go forward. We're not there yet. We still have to go forward, but we're going to have to climb out of a big inventory shortage hole to get to anything that's deemed normal, let alone, you know, let's call it a, a soft landing, as the Fed said back in 2006. Remember that, Steve? That never happened. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, a little froth in the market. A little froth in the market. Um, and so I think inevitably we will get there when I just, I don't know because inventory and interest rates are going to be the two biggest factors in my mind that get us to that point. And, you know, inventory is absorbing so quickly, even in Lake Oswego, high price points, low price points, doesn't matter. Right. Uh, and I watch it every single day. Um, it, it doesn't matter. So I just, I think we've got a little more room to run before we get to anything that's considered a balanced market, in my opinion. Can, yeah, can I ask a question? Do. Can I ask a question that I've not heard asked much? And, um, and I don't even know that I know the answer to it, but why is inventory so low? I mean, if you go back just before COVID, go back a year and a half, two years ago, there's not more people. There's not significantly, I mean, less houses. Why? And, and if the answer is COVID, then would that mean also that when COVID ends or, or begins to end slowly, that will change as well? I don't COVID. because I don't I don't get it either. Well, so uh, when the start of March 2020, when COVID hit, there was kind of a three month sort of not a lot happening in real estate. We didn't know if we could go in houses. People didn't want to put their house on the market and have people coming through. A lot of people were losing jobs. I mean, it's it's largely COVID. Plus, coming out of the the winter months, you know, the absorption rate really gets low during that time anyway. Mm -hmm. So you add up. So absorption rate is if no other houses come on the market, uh, how much time will the remaining inventory sell out? And we're at you know 0.5 which is heavily weighted in the seller's market. Um, over six months is a, is a buyer's market. Three to six months is about normal. Under three months is a seller's market, but 0.5 is nuts. And uh, so there was nothing to buy. I also think the rates being super low, um, a lot of people refied and it's like, okay, we're refining and we're hunkering down and I don't wanna sell, I just refied. Um, but you know, what I think is a market is so hot works against you. There's a lot of buyers that are like, man, I'm, I'm over eight. Offers. Totally. Totally. 65 over. And I don't want to be part of this, you know, not my circus, not my monkeys. I'm going to sit back and I don't have to do anything. 
Um, and, and then you, you also have the sellers on that hand that are saying, look, I could sell my house and get a payday, but where the hell am I going to go? Right. Mm-hmm. And not everybody has the, you know, says, oh, I'll just move into my other house or I'll rent something. A, a lot of them kind of want to sell and then move to their house like we used to do. And um, so I think those are big obstacles, too, aside from everything else going on. I'm hearing the rental market is nuts too. It is. I, I have a it client is. right now who is trying to sell a um, a large house out in Stafford area, and he just wants to grab a, a rental in Lake Oswego or Westland or something. He he said he sees them posted, and within hours are taken down. And there's like nope, too many too many applications. Yeah, sixty applications in yeah. two hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. nuts. I mean, it. I've seen rental rates. Cause I own a few here in Lake Oswego, you know, s- smaller ranch style homes. Um, my folks are living in one, um, but I've seen the rental rates on those. They're like between three and four grand a month for a simple little house. Crazy. And that That's was a $1,500 a month rental a few years ago. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. So yeah, the rental market's gone bananas too. It's, it's crazy. But you know, the one thing that separates this time from last time, and I think this is an important point that I want to bring up is last time, everybody chased this market up off of a little bit of FOMO, right? Fear of missing out on the opportunity to make money on real estate. Now people legitimately need a damn house, right? Yeah. And, and that's why they're offering. So it's it's the same end outcome to some extent, but it's different reasons getting us there. And, and I don't know if those different reasons are going to create a different outcome in the end. That I, I don't know. Um, none of us do, of course, but it's it's a really strange time. It's Especially the last four to five months have been really strange. Yeah. And yeah, so there's not the speculation. There's a ton of skin in the game. I mean, people are the the ones getting their offers accepted are putting a lot of money down. I mean, the ones, you know, there's been posts on masters about is anybody getting FHA or VA accepted? And it's hard. It's, it's dang near impossible. You almost have to tell those people, look, you're going to have to buy a dog of a house. Let's just be real, right? Let's go find you a, a dog that no one else wants and let's let's and, and uh, let's let's fix it up, you know, help you do something with it. But I mean, otherwise, I mean, when you have 5 7 offers and somebody's putting 3% down or or you know or doing VA with zero down, I mean, it's never going to happen, right? And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I mean, I'm all for the veterans, you know, being taken care of. But I mean, it's business decisions being made on the parts of the sellers and their agents. Um, so I forget where I was going with that. But um, well, I think it's a good segue into our first topic, which is okay. uh, multiple offers. And I'll let you take it, Steve um, or Joe, either one of you guys. But this, I think, ties in perfectly to the fact that most buyers and their buyer's agents are just getting manhandled out there. And so this is kind of a strategy that some are probably employing. Are you talking about love letters, Tucker? No, multiple. Uh, writing multiple uh, houses uh, one time. Tom uh, Schwenzer. Oh, 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 okay. Yes. Thank you. April 6th. Thank you. Yeah. Let me read what Tom, Tom had to write. Tom Schwenzer. I think one of the biggest mistakes being made is adhering to the water cooler belief that buyers may only write on one house at a time. I challenge anyone to explain which portion of ORS 696 related OAR rules of the code of ethics prevents a buyer from writing on more than one house at a time. In fact, the buyer's agency disclosure requires lawful obedience to the client's wishes. If one were to be asked to do it and then did not, what reason is given? Buyers have the right to advocate in their future as do sellers. I I get Tom's general um, premise here. Like, because, because let me, let me just lay out, you know, a scenario that hopefully our, 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 our listeners can relate to 
seller needs a house sellers relocating to portland area i'm sorry not seller buyer buyers relocating to portland area they come into town on a thursday their job's starting in a month or so they got to find a house they make an they find a great house they make an offer they're told that there are seven other offers and they're reviewing monday so now what do they do just sit there and hope so um, now there was a lot of pushback on Tom. And I think I think I read, I remember reading this when it first came up. I think he was trying to challenge people's beliefs. The reality is, you're, I mean, let's be clear. You're not supposed to write a, a bunch of offers with, with conflicting expirations with the understanding that you can't buy all those houses. I think everybody agrees with that. What you can do... Um, is you can write offers with expirations that expire with the understanding and the belief that if your offer is the best, they'll probably just come back to you and go, Hey, are you, and you can stay in touch with that agent and say, Hey, I know it expired, but we're still interested. Um, let's be in touch. And, and I'd love to get this house and then move on and do the same thing again, and then make another offer that expires and then do it again. Now you've got four offers out there. Maybe one hasn't expired. Maybe um, the other three have, but you want all four houses and you're just staying in touch with those agents. We all know oftentimes offers expire and we fix it with a counter offer, right? So there's a, there's a way to do that where you're not breaking the rules. Um, and, and that was mentioned in here. And I, I think that's a great strategy because I, I agree. I, it's not fair to the buyers out there who need a home to just have to, to have one go at it per weekend because everybody's sitting on all offers for four or five days. Um, what's your take on that, Joe? Uh, well, flip it around and look at the seller. It's a crappy thing to do to a seller. A guy comes in for a weekend, you look at five houses, writes offers on all five, which is what he's talking about, Tom's talking about. And uh, let's say you get all five then you're going to back out of four of them, which is terrible. And I agree that, you know, we have to write anything our clients want us with law. I personally don't think it would go that way. Just, just in Tom's defense, and I'm not defending doing this the wrong way. I don't, my experience, I mean, we, we, we have a lot, as many listings as a lot, as most agents. Normally we're not just sending over acceptance or a counter without a final. Okay. It looks like you're winning it. And they're like, yay, send it over. works. So I don't necessarily agree that suddenly five counters or five acceptances are sent out and four people are left holding a bag and all the other buyers are gone on that house. Yeah. Well, statistically it's, it's against it, but let's, let's get ridiculous. Let's say they make 20 offers on a weekend and they get two of them one per and they can't afford to buy both houses right there's that little thing that says additional funds right you want to buy this house can you buy this house where the additional funds come from is it a closing is it a bonus is it from your stocks but you have to identify where that money's coming from and if the buyer has doesn't have the funds and no intention or the means to buy both houses you shouldn't be offering on both at the same time. Maybe you give them a come in hot and give them a make me move price with a with a quick fuse. And then if if they say no, we're gonna stretch this long, then 
and you pull out and go to the other one. But I mean, and stay in touch with that agent and go, okay, on Monday, let us know where we're at. We'd still love the house, even though we're expired. Right. Right. So but that's the, the right way to have your, your multiple offers on, on, on multiple houses. Right. And, and that's never really having more offers on more than one house at a time that you can't perform on. So correct. Um, I would be pissed as a listing agent. I would be pissed as a seller if there were more than one offer. And then uh, the buyers that I accepted, there were, had three other offers out there. And then they're going to sit back and kind of cherry pick which one they want. Um, well, aren't sellers cherry picking? It's that's. The, I think that's the premise of Tom's question. Why does the sellers get to to hold all the cards, and why do they get to be the cherry pickers, and the buyers have no rights, no um, ability to do so? And so, and so that's the market. So in every market, somebody's a jerk. Right now, it's potentially the sellers. Go back to like two thousand eight, right? People bought a. a a home for a million three it's on the market for 675 and the buyer's like i'll give you 450 right <laughs> so in every market uh someone's a jerk and there's a little bit of a balance when the absorption rate and the interest rates and the the buying market out there kind of hits that three to six month uh inventory demand Right now, there's just way too much demand, not enough inventory. So, uh, you know, the, the sellers hold all the cards right now. I mean, here's the other thing, right? You could, as a listing agent, just point blank ask, be like, are they looking at other houses? Are they written on other houses? And, you know, if you lie, I guess that makes you questionable. But there's always the question could be asked um, if you wanted to flush that out completely. Because, you know, I'll be honest that's part of the process that we normally employ is, you know, how many offers have they written? How many houses have they looked at? Are they serious? You know, just kind of uh, exploring that conversation. So I don't know. I see both sides of it. It's a tough situation because buyer's agents are just getting pounded. Um, and so they're trying to find leverage points, right? What can we do to try and get more done for our buyers? And that, I think that's the root of this, this comment that Tom made. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, strategy. I mean, about what it takes to get an, an offer accepted. Um, I've had a couple of interesting experiences in the last month or so. In, in my mind, I mean, what you as a listing agent are looking for is a compilation or combination of a great buyer and a great agent. Okay. One of those alone may not get it done, but, but both together is what is the formula. I recently had an agent who is a great agent. She, I know her, she's a friend and she was doing everything right in touch with, um, in touch with us about a listing, um, from the very beginning, stayed in constant communication, said her buyers were interested. Her buyers looked at the house several times, kind of was waiting towards a deadline but then she came in with a low offer and an escalation and then kind of started showing us comps saying, you know, what it's, what it's that to, saying, basically, this is a good offer and blah, blah, blah. Well, all the while, somebody else that wasn't as communicative sent us a great offer, you know, over the top, strong and said the buyers want it, it even had an escalation on it. 
and 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 we ended up going with that one. And by the way, the the, the one had you know ten percent down. The other one had like you know forty percent down. Um, and that the first agent was frustrated. But I guess I guess what my point is as agents, as buyers agents, there's there's only so much you can do. If your buyer's not built to to come in strong, you're you're gonna be handicapped to some extent, right? And don't and 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 it is what it is. It's it stinks, but I mean, you can't get frustrated if your buyer has minimal down, is tepid in in their approach. Um, I mean, seriously, this was our first weekend on the market, and they come in twenty five thousand under with an escalation to asking price. I think is what it was. If you think the house isn't worth the asking price, you probably shouldn't be writing on opening weekend. You should probably sit back and wait for that house to sit. I mean, um, so, I mean, that's what, that's what the, we're always looking for. We want the great agent, but a great agent alone doesn't get it done. They need to also be, have a strong buyer with, you know, some strong qualifications and a, and a strong motivation. Um, so um, I, I know there's frustration out there, but we, we're, we've, we're often in the same boat, right? We have a, we, we feel like we do our job well, but that's only going to go so far if the, if the person can only go to asking price or barely above it and is doing 5% down. I mean, and that's just the name of the game is, is, you know, I don't, I don't even know why you write that offer. I mean, that's just, I, I don't know why you write that offer either. I would go, okay, thank you very little. I, I, you know, I would, I would literally, literally call them and say, look, I don't understand this offer. And just for me sorting it all out, I'm trying to figure out who the dummy is. Is it the broker or is it the buyer? Every once in a while we have a buyer, ah, well, let's go 25 less and escalate up the full price. Or, you know, chances are it's both. But if, look, we don't have to write uh, legal offers. You know, any offer a buyer wants us to that's legal to write. If someone said, hey, I wanna come in 25 low, when it's been on the market for 24 hours, I'm just going to say, Hey, yeah, let me, Steve Nassar is a licensed broker. Let me <laughs> refer you to him. <laughs> it's not, I'm not going to be writing that. Um, just no way. Yeah. I think that just comes with hopefully time in the chair, like just understanding, having been through a few market cycles, like, any any agent that's been through a few market cycles and writes that offer is the dummy, right? If you're newer, I'll cut you some slack and say, okay, you're learning, you know, there's a process here to some extent, um, but you got to know better, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that just seems like a giant it's waste of time. easier said than done, though. Tucker. I know, sometimes, I know. You sometimes these are the kids people. of a great client of yours who were referred to you. Yeah, no, I know. I get just, it. I mean, you kind of got... You, you can't just sit at them at a, with them at a table or on a Zoom and go, by the way, we're not going to write any offer you want because um, you're not going to get any houses. You kind of got to take them through that process. Now, I don't disagree that you can have the communication. One thing that was on Masters recently, and I, I, I really appreciated it. Somebody thanked all the agents that are sharing details of offers to the losing parties. I, I agree. I think that's really healthy. Um, if my, Joe, your house, right? You, you, you were listed at X, you went 65 over X cash, right? Somebody who could just barely go, you know, asking price. How nice to tell that agent, hey, just so you know, we had cash and it was way over asking price. We're, you know, to the tune of almost 10% higher. 
they can then go to their client and the client goes, oh, okay, let's move on, right? It gives them closure. It gives them- Totally, totally. And, and, and I think we can all help each other in that regards and just let people know this was not ever gonna be close um, so that they don't feel, so that that agent is safe with their client and their, their client's trust, right? The, the biggest tragedy in all of real estate is another broker's actions make you look bad. Oh, you have horrible. a listing, you have a listing, some guy shows it, leaves the sliding glass door to the kitchen, to the backyard unlocked, tracks in dog do, um, you know, doesn't leave a card, you know, leaves every light burning or turns every light off. And then your sellers are pissed at you. That person's in the wind and they're pissed at you. Well, the same kind of, same thing is true if you get multiple offers, if somebody has interest in a listing and then they just say, look, my people are good up to X, should we even write it? And I would say, no, I mean, look, you ain't gonna win. You ain't gonna be, you know, win place or show. You're like down here. So save yourself the time. They appreciate that. The other thing I do is I send a little summary and I posted this in masters like uh, months ago. I like to anyone that's ever showed it. I post them a little summary that it sold and I give them a little bit of the details and I let them, I give them an hour or two to notify their buyers before I hit the pending button because there's nothing worse than yes. someone that has an offer on a property and they see it pending in the computer and they haven't heard from their broker yet. And they're pissed at their broker when it's really the listing agent's fault. So I, I try and set it up for success for everyone, even they don't get the offer, but they're told through their realtor and they know why. So. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's a prudence too in this market. I know this isn't going to be popular amongst our listeners, but I think there's a prudence to, to, being careful about listing your client's house and getting an, getting it into escrow without having a good plan of where they're going to go and what they're going to do, right? And by that, I mean, um, what? how much down are they going to have? How strong are they going to be as a buyer? Do they just barely qualify for a little bit more? I mean, we had a client this week that we said this might not, they, and they we could have listed their house, right? Um, it was Lake Oswego, Tucker. I mean, it was. Uh, Do they need they a rental? Maybe you'll give me a good buy on it. Yeah. <laughs> they they wanted to sell Lake Oswego like six fifty, and their hard cap. That was what scared me about these clients. They're with our preferred lender, and they have like a hard cap of like seven fifty, right? And not a dollar over. And I'm just like, man, that is. What you're trying to accomplish is just, it's a unicorn in this market. Yeah. No, and right. as much as I'd right. love to list their $600,000 house and we'd all get paid and, and we'd go in escrow, now there's pressure on me and us that is probably not a good pressure and that's probably not a good long-term for our relationship with that client. So I think you almost have to write that as a contingent, but look at the property it will sell in a day. And yeah. they're going to have to probably buy outside of Lake Oswego. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's so, yeah. th th those are the realities of their situation, right? Yeah. Um, and in their case, he's self-employed. He had he had a you know he had a, he had a meager tax return last year, and we're you know we're saying, hey, 
get your tax returns filed this year. Let's revisit this maybe next, next, uh, you know, spring. Um, we might be in a different market. You'll be able to qualify for more. It's just your scenario makes more sense then. And um, so some of these agents who are coming at us really aggressively trying to get their clients deals done. I'm wondering if, you know, in their situation, some of this happened. They got them, they got their client into a bad spot where their house is gone now. And there's not a good option for them out there because, because of something that was foresee more foreseeable, right? Um, uh, the last thing I'll say about this is we had another agent that reached out to one of my team members on one of our listings that was going to get a bunch of offers. He reached out on day one and he had just the wrong approach. He, it was almost like a bullying approach. He's like, look, I'm going to give you an offer. He was really aggressive. He said, I'm going to give you an offer. Whatever I ask you, it's going to have a short expiration. Your guys are going to accept it. And, and uh, Taylor on my team was, he was like, well, you know, I've talked to my sellers. They've worked hard on this house. They really wanted to, to, to be on the market over the weekend. He's like, why wouldn't you accept this offer? He sent over an offer. It was over asking price, but he, and the guy was just rude. I mean, that is not how you get deals done. Well, needless to say that that guy's house, I mean, we in, oh, and the guy was kind of condescending. He was like, he was like, well, this is a great offer. I've looked at the comps. There's no way you're going to get more than this. Well, we went way over that offer. And we, by the way, we didn't go back to him and give him another chance at it. So there is um, a, a finesse to this that is important as well. Um, let's well, talk real uh, quick. With that real quick. And then, and then we got a lot of topics. So we'll jump to the next, but there are some bullies out there. And uh, one person selling their own home said, we're not going to look at the offers until right before they get presented. So our deadline is three days from now at noon. We will look at the offers at three o'clock and then present them to ourselves or their client. I, don't, I can't remember who, if it was their own home or not, but they can legitimately say, hey, look, um, I, don't, I don't know what the offers are. I can't tell you. And that had mixed reviews. You're not negotiating. You're not, you know, playing well in the sandbox with everybody. And other people are like, yeah, that's the only way you can do it because there are that dude scenario that happens a lot. You know, here's my offer, short fuse, make me move, take it or don't. And a lot of times they, that isn't the highest offer you can possibly get. Anyway, I wanted to throw that in. Uh, Tucker, I wanted to uh, talk about this one about um, Sarah O'Reilly uh, on April 7th. Uh, just had a builder raise the price of a home that my buyers have been in contract on since December 1st. Due to the increase in lumber costs, the builder states the buyer needs to pay an additional $12,200 for the home or terminate, and they will receive a full refund. Are you seeing this too? It's half built. There have been upgrades, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what about that? Well, I will say I went through all the comments. I actually jumped in here as well. There was some that were, you know, got crazy, like lawyer up. <laughs> Time to like, sue. Come on, dude. Use your friggin' melon a little bit here before you blast something like that. But it is the internet and social media. But so here's the reality. I want to tell you guys a quick little story. We're building a house on Nas Road right now going to be an amazing house. Um, it's been a long ways to get here, dragged out way longer than we like, but because it dragged out way longer than we like, guess what? We ordered our lumber package this week. Well, that lumber package this week cost $118,000. That lumber package 
a couple months ago would have been like 65, 70. Mm -hmm. You so, don't have a buyer in place, correct? This is, this will be. No, spec we don't. Yeah. yeah. Now we have another property that is pending and we pre-sold it. And, you know, we're in a situation where fortunately we framed that and we got most of our materials before the big jump in material costs, but we do have overages um, in that one. And so that's a situation that it wasn't in our contract to raise prices if material prices go up, but we didn't have, to, we're really losing appreciation on that one and not costs as much. And appreciation, I, you can't cry about as a builder, as I mentioned in the comments, because if we pre-sell stuff, we're removing risk. And so if the market improves or gets worse, we're removing risk, right? So that's the winner is whoever's willing to take the risk at that point. But in this case, as I said, our, our lumber pack came in at 118 grand. It would have been 65 to 70 grand a couple months ago. Um, you know, we're not pre-selling anything uh, right now because I, number one, we would have a caveat in our contracts moving forward to account for this, but it's just a, it's a no win, right? Nobody's happy. Like, and the, the, as you could see in the thread, now what wasn't said in the thread, and we mentioned earlier, Steve, before we jumped on here is that that home is probably worth 40, 50, 60 grand more than totally. what they're originally buying totally. it for. So what's 12 grand on a lumber pack increase if it's worth 50 or 60 more? Like, let's think about what we're crying about here. Um, but the builders aren't the bad guys here. Like it's, it's crazy what our material costs have jumped over the last six months. I, I've never seen a jump like this in my entire career. And I haven't seen the market jump like this either, but it makes it very difficult. So if you went into contract three or four months ago, we are in a totally different world in terms of what it costs to build. I mean, we've been talking to people that want us to build them custom homes and we couldn't even give them an accurate bid. Like can't really do it. And, and if they're, if they don't have a lot of extra cash and they're looking to really use the bank money to build the majority of the house, like it's a little bit like, whoa, maybe we need to pump the brakes here because we don't know what this is really going to cost to build. And so it's just a huge X factor right now. So moral of my side of the story is, is that the builders really aren't the bad guys in this. And a lot of them do have little caveats in their contract that say, if you know material costs increase by more than X amount, we have the right to adjust price accordingly. And how you prove that, I don't know, it's probably fairly cumbersome and they're not really providing too much proof of it. But the reality is, is that those prices have skyrocketed. And so it's just a, you know, it's part of the market that we're in and nobody's really the bad guy here. It's just a tough situation if you've been in contract in this window where we've had these huge spikes. There are plenty of buyers who tied up a house <clears throat> that was about to be built, um, whether this is production builders or custom builders, whatever, you know, they might've tied it up November, December, October, January, they're closing on it and they're walking into equity. They're walking into equity. That's not being discussed in this thread. So, um, and you made a great point. The builder doesn't get to go back and say, Hey, I'm going to raise my price because it's worth more now today. But, they can, they do have in their contracts frequently, hey, if, if materials increase at such a percentage, then we have the right to go back, do that. And, and how that isn't interpreted as a fair thing is hard to understand. I mean, it's not great. And, it, and, and I like what you said, Tucker, nobody's happy about this. The builders aren't happy that they have to raise that price. They're not happy that materials are more expensive. I, I appreciate this on this thread, somebody posted, you know, uh, I guess it was um, wiring Tucker. Did you see this? Like from November, it was it's almost 40, double. 50 bucks. Yeah, that was more than that. It was like $40 in November. Now it's like 240 or something. I mean, some I, of it, but it's not just lumber. That's the thing people need to understand. I mean, everything has gone up in this. 
really could be a bigger conversation about the market and kind of the underlying floor of pricing because the construction costs of everything have skyrocketed. And so that's an underlying floor in the value of real estate because the replacement costs have jumped so much. So we're just in a, you know, whether or not we want to admit a large inflationary time period or whether it's just prices are increasing dramatically, whatever it is, that's what's happening. And so you can't blame the builders for that. We're just getting all these materials and building this house and then providing it to the end consumer, right? Well, if the cost of every product is going up dramatically, it's a tough spot to be in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I work um, with Riverside Homes um, and their, their, their uh, vice president sent me a blog that he subscribes to. And it was talking, you know, I think there's this, I think there's a, a feeling out there that builders are, are just, you know, smoking hundred dollar bills and loving life right now. And that blog said, you know, this is the best housing market ever. That I thought that alone was an interesting fact, right? Best housing market ever. But it said, here's the challenges you guys are all dealing with. And it was talking about labor. It was talking about cost. It was talking about this dynamic. Do I put it into escrow now or do and, and have the sure thing or do I wait till it's done? It was talking about the sales force. You know, a lot of these builders have their own in-house staff that are agents. What do they do when everything's sold? It said a lot of them are struggling keeping their agents because the agents have nothing more to sell, so they they leave them. So it was an it was a really eye-opening. It was, you know, again, it's the best housing market ever, but there are there is just a ton of challenges out there for for each for the builders and developers. Um in this environment and predicting the future. I mean, that's the other thing. One builder I was talking to, he was a smaller builder. He, his way to hedge this was build two homes, do one, sell one up front, and then have the other be a spec that you release at closing, right? At once upon completion. That way, if six months from now, if, if you start both today and they take six months to build, if six months from now, you know, the, the economy is a bag of dog poo, he at least has one that is that makes sense and 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 is safe, and then the other, you know, he has to deal with. the The flip of that is too, true as well, right? If if the economy is great in six months, well, this one he might have lost a little money on, but now he's got this one that he um, can 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 capitalize on the, the the better housing market. So, what a challenging time! There's just a lot of decisions to be made that have never been, you know. Had I've never seen supply material costs go up this radically this quickly. Like I've never seen it. And, and, you know, these contracts were written for a reason because obviously, you know, they, people have to protect themselves in case that happens, but I haven't seen these contracts be relevant or the, the caveat in these contracts be relevant in a a very long time, if ever. Um, So it's just one of those weird windows right now. So don't blame the builder. It's really not their fault. Yeah. There's an interesting thread. Um, real quick, I know we were talking about multiple offers. We were going to touch on love letters. Okay. So there's been a lot about love letters lately, um, in, in masters, um, and uh, love letters. I'm just, I'll put it out there just because I think most people know what it is, but love letters is when you, there's multiple offers and you, you, you or your buyers on their behalf, have a document that you send to the seller, to the listing agent. And then hopefully, ultimately to the seller, that says a little bit of their story, right? It's the story of your clients, why they want the house, what they love about it, on and on and on, okay? Um, Sarah Riley, who, who, by the way, is very, very um, 
active <laughs> in masters and she does a great job. She's, she brings up a lot of topics. She, um, on this one, she basically said, I don't have it up in front of me, but she basically said, are other people still sending love letters? Whenever I get an offer with a love letter, I delete it. <laughs> now, <laughs> um, there was a couple of people that pointed out, uh, Sarah, I don't think you should do that. Um, there is There are strict rules. One of the strictest rules from agency law is you have to present all offers. And, um, and that was pointed out. But then the, then the thread kind of morphed to, you know, why everybody hates love letters, why it's the, it's the evil that creates discrimination. Um, and then it even segued over to where in, or in Salem, they are trying to pass legislation. It was actually posted. There was another one posted today that was an update on it. Um, I'll find it in here in a second, but it talks about um, new legislation that was, that was, that is being created um, here it is. Let me read it. <clears throat> I'm going to read you the language. It's Bill 2550. So this apparently is in Salem right now trying to get passed through. This is what the bill says. Notwithstanding any other provision of this chapter, a seller's agent shall redact or withhold any communication other than customary documents in a real estate transaction, including photographs provided by a buyer as necessary to help the seller avoid selecting a buyer based on buyer's race, color, religion, sex, sexual orientation, national origin, marital status, or familial status as provided by the Fair Housing Act. Um, I'll let you guys go first on this one. Do you think that should be allowed or, or not? I don't know, Joe. You I'll probably piss people off. So you <laughs> probably, yeah. uh, I, I, I agree that you should accept an offer based on the merit of the offer, regardless if they're their color, same-sex marriage, uh, nationality, religion. But until, if you make love letters illegal, until you remove all audio devices and cameras in the seller's house, they see them walking to the house, walking in the backyard. Some houses have cameras all inside. You could tell- Facebook, if social media, yeah. you can yeah. look you can people up, their like, names are in the offer, yeah to uh, men, to women, what color they are. When you get the offer, like I write an offer on a house, Joe Fostolo. Do you think they're gonna think I'm Irish? No, they're gonna think I'm Italian. Do they, maybe they hate Italians. So to not have love letters to sort of tell the sellers, hey, we love your house and we would really like to buy it. That's lending, you know, okay, so you get 1% less information on the buyers. You get to see them on video, their color, how many they are. You get to read their name on the offer and, and guess their nationality and all the other things. So, you know, to make it even, the sellers, if, they, if we truly want to make it that, you know, here's an offer we're basing strictly on the merit of the offer itself, more things have to happen on the seller side restricting last names, restricting cameras and audio devices and not having an entity to Facebook stock and, and learn about them. So I think the love letters is kind of uh, dumb. I think we should still be able to give love letters because at least the sellers will get a little bit more perspective uh, of where they're coming from, the, the buyers will to the seller more than what the the sellers already know. I think it almost is counterproductive. Like I think the lo the love letters, the, the 
our being able to tell the story of our client and why they should get it actually helps the underprivileged, right? Now, if you take that out of the equation, only the strongest, most financially solid people are going to to get houses because it's so cold and sterile and clinical that every you, you know nothing about anybody other than that the numbers on the offer. The other issues I have with this. Okay, first of all, no one no one's advocating and you you said this Joe, no one's advocating any type of discriminatory stuff. We're just talking about explaining what you love about the house, explaining what you, you know your 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 story. Um uh when why if we're going to do this, I even commented this on on the thread are we going to start saying that people need to when when and I'm not talking about our industry now I'm talking about the entire economy if you start having job interviews do you need to wear a paper bag over your face so they can't tell who you are and what you are right I mean is that the direction we're going why does this make sense here but it doesn't in other areas right the I've other thing asked, I've been asked to wear a paper bag before the, <laughs> okay, but look, but then here's the other concern I have for our, our industry. If it becomes, if we become handcuffed as realtors and told you cannot ever make known any details about your client to the seller, what about FISBOs? What about when they're belly to belly with each other and they're talking and they're like, hey, uh, hey, you're a nice guy, blah, 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 blah. Do they now have an advantage over us because the, the sellers, you know, there are sellers out there that love their house and they've been there 30 years and they want to make sure it goes to a good family. Are they now going to be more inclined to go, hey, if I want to control this process, if I want to make sure this is transferred to, in, to, to somebody that is going to be a good person for the house, I might need to sell it myself. I mean, these are the these are the holes in this in this belief. Should there be pictures? Probably not. I agree with that. Um, even though I always loved the ones with the kids and the dogs, but I get why. Okay, maybe that could be a, a rule. Okay, but and should there should we state that there will be no you know no verbiage that crosses the line in these you know protected classes? Of course, we should say that. But why can't we just stop there? Why do we have to? Why do we have to make this so? Um, cold right look just, if, if the person's going to be prejudiced they're going to be prejudiced absolutely anyway. and the absolutely. other thing is is if so you know you make an offer and your last name like polensky or something yeah and maybe they come from a polish uh heritage maybe that's like a benefit to them maybe it's like hey this person you know i i, I connect with this person but i don't know it that you know, there's little triggers going off all over the place because we don't have to control every aspect. But love letters are very possibly going away. I believe that's the trend for the purpose of looking at an offer uh, un unpartially, just based on, on finances. I don't think we're going to see love letters. I've had other brokers say, we'll look at a love letter, but don't send pictures. Not that, I mean, I don't know if that's going to make a difference, but I think love letters might very well go away if in this next round of uh, rules being created. It does seem like that. It does seem like that. I don't think they matter, to be honest. Like what matters is what are you offering? What are your terms? And Cammie Price had a comment here about 
removing the the verbiage on the type of financing, but you still have to put down payment. So if it's VA, you're putting zero down. If you're putting, if it's FHA, it's three percent. So you still know exactly what the financing is. And so, you, you the the order in which you rate a buyer is price, terms, and if they write you a love letter, of course they're putting their best foot forward in the love letter. They're not going to say they're a pain in the ass. They're going to nickel and dime you, and they're going to ask for everything that comes up on the inspection report. So they're fairly meaningless in the whole scheme of things. Um, you know, maybe it's a, a small tiebreaker, maybe in my experience as a seller over the last, you know, 20 years of real estate. Um, but I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that, Tucker. I've seen them be effective. I've seen them be effective time and again. You're right. A tiebreaker. Yeah. You know, it's tiebreaker, but it's not going to overcome a $50,000 difference. Yeah. No. Yeah. Best, yeah. best case, it's a tiebreaker. But I'll even argue that further though. Is that a tiebreaker because the agent that submitted that offer with that love letter seems easier for you to work with and sees, seems more on top of it and they are just dialed, right? I almost would argue that that reinforces the love letter more than the love letter itself. So there's all these outside factors. I think the love letter is at the bottom of the list, but the outside factors factor in to make that love letter seem better if all those other things are in play. If those other things aren't in play, it doesn't matter what they write, gone. Right. So totally, totally agreed. Totally agreed. But it, it's the story. I mean, look, we're all we're, we're in the business of marketing things. I mean, this is the when we list a house, our job is to tell the story of the house. What's what's great about the house when you're in a market like this? Your job is to tell the story of the buyers. Right. Paul Barnes Brotherton. I love this comment. Any communication eliminates all buyer motivation. Motivation is oftentimes more important than terms in the offer as with most well-intended legislation, it goes too far. What he's, when, remember what I was saying as a listing agent, you're looking for a, a great agent, a combination of a great agent, and you're looking for a great buyer. Well, how do you know if you have a great buyer? The communication. We really love this house. The backyard is perfect for our dog spot. Blah, blah. You know, our kids go to school. And I'm, don't quote me on this. Okay, maybe saying kids is wrong. I get it, but whatever. The, Hey, just saying we really love this house says, okay, you know what? This might be the one that takes it to the finish line versus, versus somebody that throws in a high offer and then changes their mind, um, you know, three days later. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to this. I'm, I'm, I, for one, just want to say, I'm going to be sad if it goes away. I'm going to be really sad. It's going to go, if it goes away. And I think they, they, they went too far. So I, I kind of um, like them. I, I kind of like them. And, you know, you're appealing to two sets of people. You're appealing to the sellers. And Tucker, you're right. Money talks. You could have the sweetest letter in the world. If the money ain't there, that's not going to be the one. But you're appealing to that listing agent. You're saying, look, we're here to close. That's our job. Close. Mm -hmm. I write I write a love letter to the listing agent. And it's like, hey, look, our job is to get this thing closed. It's not to haggle. It's not to take a second run at it and backpedal. That's the letter that is effective. That's the one. Like, that we are here to close on this property and make it as easy for you as possible. My lender calls and says the same thing. And the buyers write a love letter too. You're getting three letters saying, look, we just want to buy the damn house and we're going to make it easy on you. And that's all. It, I got a love letter on my house. It was hilarious. I thought it was great. They're like, um, this is weird because I think realtors and listing agents see these love letters and it's kind of like a punchline, these like just dripping with cheese love letters. Um, and, and I know it's a punchline, but 
we really love your house. So we're going to take a whack at it anyway. And then just went into it. And I'm like, what a great letter. I was laughing. Uh, they, they're cool people. Um, so anyway, uh, it's the combination of, for me, it's the price and it's who's at the helm. Uh, that's so much of it for me. There could be a, a, an offer that's five, 10, 20 grand, maybe not 20 grand, but five or 10 grand more coming from a broker that you know is like really squirrely. Um, I'm going to have that conversation with my clients. I'm going to say, hey, look, this is five grand more than this one. This person is amazing and professional and ethical. This person, not so much. Um, do you want to counter these people five grand more to match that offer? And then we get we control who we're working with because who you have on that side is everything. And that's why I pound into people's heads. You know, be cool, cooperate with other agents. You know, like my grandfather said, don't be an asshole, right? Cooperate, be as cool as you possibly can, as courteous as you possibly can. And our goal is to get it to the finish line. While you represent your party, the listing agent represents theirs, the, the selling agent represents theirs, but there's two ways to go about it. And I've been in contracts with people that after it was accepted, it just, all I wanted to do is run out of a side door and you can't at that point um, until, you know, then you know who you're dealing with. And so it's very important. And that's why I have a close interpersonal relationship with everybody before we get in the contract. It's an interview. I want to know, do they do their job? I test them. I, I text them, see how fast they text back. I email, I ask for certain, give them chores, you know, ask for things. I purposely don't put stuff in the RMLS listing. So they have to call me. But Joe, I love everything you're saying, but don't you, I mean, a great agent can have a difficult client, right? Yeah. So, so it is, so it is a balance. You need to know about the client. What's, how long have they been looking? What, what, tell me the story of them. What's going on with them. We're getting some great comments here that I want to share. Um, Justine Syke, are we okay to still communicate verbally about our buyers to the other agent? It would potentially be similar information. I think, I think the answer is yes. You maybe it's moving the forward, thing. there's not, it's the same thing, right? You're just not right. Hey, yeah. yeah, but you, but but Tucker, don't you want to know about? The yeah, I do. That's what I'm house? saying. I yeah. do. So yeah. you remove the yeah. letter, but you're still yeah. going to have the conversation because yeah. you want to find out yeah. who you're dealing with. Yeah, this guy just sold a house in the Bay Area. He's got three million cash. He's relocating. His grandkids live in the area. I mean, you're like, oh, he's strong. He 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 has ties here. He wants to be here. That's the guy I want to work with, right? I mean, um. You know, sometimes sometimes I've had funky houses with weird room configurations, and they'll tell me like this is the perfect configuration for them for this reason. He, I remember one house I was having the the hardest time selling it because there was a weird room in the downstairs. They informed me that he's a drummer and he needs that room so that he can put his drum set there and go to. Perfect. I mean, those are the things. All of a sudden, I'm like, aha! That's why you're the perfect buyer for this house. I mean, it's, so that's our jobs is to, is to, we're, we're, we're brokers. We're putting the right people with the right house. So, so I moving forward, I think it's going to be verbal. That if you were to start removing these things, you start to remove the need for realtors at a certain point, because you're removing more of the human element that yes. is involved yeah. in residential real estate. Emotions and human element is residential real estate. If you remove that, you're shooting yourself in the foot. They're going to come up with an eBay for housings. 
for houses. Yeah. It's just going to be an auction process. You'll just put your house on some kind of eBay and it'll go ding, 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 ding. Oh, here's the highest offer. Yep. That's the one that wins. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I, I really don't believe that to that degree, but I'm, I'm using it an exaggeratory, you know, way to explain you know that. It's yeah. 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 The, 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 the more you handicap us, handcuff us with our ability to, to tell the story of the people and why they're right for the house, the, the less we're needed. I do agree with that. Marquetta was also saying the same thing. I started telling a story about me. Oh, she was saying the same as you, Joe, which I think is great. I started telling a story about me as an agent and my mortgage broker has a great team with our bios and emphasizing the teamwork. So, so there is that component to it, but that's not everything you could have. I have had problem buyers guys. I, I view myself and my team as I, I view us as having a good reputation and we, we really try to do things, but there's times where we've got a client and they're, they're, they're a handful. Right. And we, and, and regardless of how great we might feel we are, we're, our ability to rally that person, you know, is 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 only as good as as their motivations, their strengths as a buyer, etc. So, great feedback. Let's move on. I think we really touched on that one nicely. Um, Joe, you want to talk about CenturyLock Zillow? There was that video today. Yeah. So this popped up just before uh, we went live. Um, Lori Panuk. Uh, it was uh, four hours ago. So um, April sixteenth, four hours ago. And it's kind of a wacky five minute video of the two real <laughs> estate guys that unpack what's happening. And, you know, they have little explosions and they cut away to like weird stuff. Cartoons which, with their heads getting blown off by a shotgun. Yeah, I, yeah. I probably would have given it a little more credibility uh, if they didn't have all that stuff. But um, it's kind of, it, can we just address that real quick? It's kind of demeaning. I I take it as demeaning. like we think you're juvenile so we need to entertain you like you're in middle school is is the way i take <laughs> it, it. Kind but it come off that way yeah. yeah yeah well it's like uh if the average attention span is 90 seconds and they had to get it out in five minutes they had to you know have shiny objects there to keep you there but but the message was on point and it I agree. is uh, i agree and we've had this discussion about Zillow buying showing time. And what does that mean? No one knows what it means, but there's some strange stuff happening. Zillow is in the data mining um, industry, right? The more information you get, they know how often something is shown and what neighborhood and stats for miles and miles and miles. There've been reports that, you know, homes that were listed uh, there were messages going to them saying, hey, you know, you could just accept an offer from Zillow and, and Zillow isn't claiming that or claims that it, it was a one-time thing or something. But there's a lot of data that's being in the hands of this company, which if you looked at, you know, you're with us or against us, you, they would clearly be against us, right? Our competitors that want to take more of a piece of the pie that, that we have. So I would feel... Uh, personally better if NAR um, bought and and did it through CenturyLock and then our information is still our information. And I, I think this thread is going to blow up, uh, but it's only four hours young. It's already getting comments. And um, if I could move off of showing time owned by Zillow, by the way, which is a real estate company, they only, they buy houses, they sell houses. And they need our data. 
um, and I never understood it, but we so willingly give them. Um, or we could book our appointments through uh, Century Lot. And if that comes about, I'm switching immediately. I still got to play the game on showing time for listing agents that go that route. But what I can control um, is going to be all Century Lock if NAR buys it. And and they made some good points um, through all their quirkiness um, that uh, you know Zillow Zillow's a competitor. They if they could have their way, they would be that eBay that eliminates all realtors, right? I mean that's no secret. Um, whereas NAR wouldn't exist without us, right? I mean they they truly do have our best interest. We pay them money, and 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 if we didn't if we weren't around, they wouldn't be around either. So no, I I get it. I'm. You know, what's funny, Joe, is I didn't use showing time until on one of these shows, you told me that I should use it. This is probably a year or two ago, probably two years ago. One time we were talking about showing time and I wasn't using it. I, was, I wrote, I literally made a note and then I went back to my next buyer meeting and I said, hey, or seller meeting. And I was like, hey, somebody look into showing time. Let's start using this. And, and, and it's a huge part of our business now. Yeah. And it was when Zillow, you know, came in and bought them. So I would love an opportunity to go and support our you know, our NAR and, and, and an organization that, that generally does a good job looking out for and, us. And the, and the reason a year ago why I said that is because nobody really, really felt comfortable with realtors calling your clients to make appointments directly. Because yeah. I've had a lot of uh, clients say, yeah, they wanted to book an appointment. And then he like asked if we had any offers and, and asked like all of this stuff that you're not supposed to be asking. And I wanted to remove that. And that's why showing time at the time was brilliant, but I'm, I'm not inclined to use it anymore. If there's another option not owned by a competitor. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's move well, hey, on. We're at twelve fifteen, so let's pick one more. How about that? Um, okay, we've got appraisal waivers, and we got the oppressed taxes on homes. Which do you guys want to do? Uh, you pick, Joe. Uh, let's do the uh, waivers. The one thing I'll say about the oppressed tax is I talked to Steve Anderson, and we're going to try and get him on a show here for Masters. He is so incredibly knowledgeable. He worked at the tax assessor's office for years and years and years until he got his real estate license and now he's fighting them and he knows all the people and he's very cool. successful at it we, if you don't want to get him on a show and he would love to be on a show in front of our audience i i actually came across him about a year ago there was a property in portland Multnomah county skyline that the property was two million, but it had taxes like for a four million dollar house, and it was hurting the sale of the house. And we had clients interested in it, and um, it was actually Kevin Hall that was listing it, K K Kathy and Kevin Hall. And they said, "Hey, we've talked to this guy. We think your clients should talk to the guy." And we did. We and he was impressive. And and I saved him in my phone ever since because yeah. he is yeah. the the he's the guy you hire to to reduce your taxes. It, it, obviously, it has to make sense, and in that case, it did. Um, so we want to get him on a show and, and, and hopefully sooner than later, and Joe's going to reach out to him and maybe coordinate in the next week or two or three, um, yep. to get him on and we'll post it on masters and we'll, we'll have everything about, um, taxes and, and assessments and how, and reduction of, of taxes. Um, so this one was posted by Jennifer Benelli. 
are the only offers getting accepted right now those that have waived inspections and waived appraisals? I've never seen so many buyers waiving everything. This can't end well. Um, <laughs> Randy jumped in on this one. You, um, so he actually, Randy was one of the first comments for new homes. Appraisals have been waived in hot areas for hot homes since last April. We won't accept an offer with an appraisal requirement. We've had so many wacky appraisers in the past who have killed deals based on their ignorance. What a buyer will pay and what a seller will sell for is the value. Yeah, this got hot. It got a little hot <laughs> uh, as you run down the comments. Um, <laughs> it's, I, I'll say this, you know, Randy was talking about kind of higher price points and, and people have the ability to pay what they want for a house to get it what he said, and maybe I can articulate it in just a slightly nicer way, is that it's hard to have an appraiser appraise a high-end home accurately every time, because there's, there's just so many factors beyond square foot and beds and baths that create value as you get into the higher end. There's feel and marketability. And those are two things that appraisers are not, you can't train that, right? You either have the innate ability to understand that and see it and recognize it, or you don't. Um, and I know they see a lot of houses and whatnot, but there's a lot of appraisers that shy away from the higher end stuff because they just don't, they don't want to mess with it. Right. And so we've had a lot of appraisals that have been terrible appraisals, um, you know, that I've, you know, I've said it on masters. I've, I've got a blacklist of appraisers that I will not allow to some of our stuff. If they get automatically signed by an AMC, I say, reassign it to somebody else. I don't care who it is, but reassign it. Um, and so I agree with Randy there. There has, we've had a lot, we've lost a lot of money because of poor appraisals, but you know, the, the underlying thing here is that we're in a crazy market as we've been talking about, and it's not Randy or any other builder, or any other seller that dictates appraisal waivers. It's the market that, that, that says it. And I think that's, you know, part of the comment, you know, definitely realizes that, but we've had appraisal waivers, we've had inspection waivers. And I do think it's crazy. Um, to some extent, I've never had this much waiving of anything ever in my entire career. Um, and I don't know, I don't know how it ends. So that's kind of my take on it. it it's kind of a, a symptom of the market at this point. Uh, so to me, the appraisal waiver kind of makes sense. Um, and, and, and I want to be clear, what we're talking about here is not that you, there's not going to be an appraisal because an appraisal waiver can also be a lender thing where they say, hey, no appraisal required. We're talking about you saying, look, regardless of what this appraises at, I'm giving you X. Or sometimes there's variations of that where, you know, they go, as long as it appraises at X, we'll give you, um, we'll, we'll still proceed forward or something. They kind of make sense to me because if the house is priced, like in Joe's case, you know, um, Oh, I'm just going to use your real numbers, Joe, 900,000. And you're offering 950. You're offering more than Joe put it out there for. And you're saying, look, I think your house is worth more than you. So why should you also simultaneously go, but let's see if this guy does. <laughs> I mean, that just doesn't make sense. You're, you're knowingly making an offer pay, over paying what was asked. So you, sh you should, in my opinion, be willing to acknowledge that I might be paying more than the fair market value of what you thought it was. Yeah, um, therefore, what you, ask, therefore, what you ask is what you ask isn't the 
authority of what it's worth too. I mean, I, you, I get that. I get that. But more than, you know, so what you ask has no bearing on worth. What you get is what it's worth. Uh, the market has spoken. It's like, hey, I went on the market. You have six offers and they're all over full price or more. Substantially, the difficulty with appraisers is history gives us the comps that we need, right? And so if you're on the on the pinpoint of a spike or a pinpoint of a crash, you don't have the history to support it. Plus, the lending ins institutions sort of give them a chokehold and said, you can only go back six months. They have to be closed. You can't use pending and you can't be outside of a three quarter mile circle. And, and they have to be within 10 years old of each other. And the lot has to be within I mean, look, some places have no comps. Yep. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I'm seeing it every every time I go to a listing appointment. I mean, you're, the, the stuff things sold for three months ago are are not your real comps, right? Um, that So anyway, and then the other thing with a waiving inspections, I, again, I want to be clear. I don't think most people, nor should they, be, be not doing inspections what they're doing is they're saying, we'll do the inspections for the sheer purpose of determining whether to proceed forward at that price or not. If we don't, if we find something horrible, we, we have the right to terminate, um, which by the way, oftentimes ends up in a renegotiation, but that's a different story. Um, and then, uh, but we're not going to renegotiate, right? Um, and I, I, I think in a market that's as crazy as this, where stuff's going 50, 65,000 over, that's a way of keeping your price lower, but you're basically thro throwing in a concession of somewhere, you know, five, 10 grand, depending on the purchase price. Right. So in other words, you're, you're, you're going to, you're going to learn some stuff wrong with the house and you're going to, you're going to go, that's fine. I can deal with that in the future versus raising your, your offer more. Um, I don't like, I don't like the buyers going in without, eyes wide open. And I, I do like inspections. I might write something. We won't ask for anything unless there's a single item over five grand or something like that. So I really like inspections because at least I know I'm doing my job and absolutely covered. As far as the guaranteed appraisals, it's like it's samesies, right? Who cares? You have a million dollar house. Your buyers put down 350. It appraises for 900. So they pay a grand outside of closing, bring in the remaining 250. They're still buying the million dollar house. They're just exactly. putting less down towards. Yeah, it, it is. They're putting it down. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, yeah. yeah. I'm putting down 350, but a hundred grand is going more than what I can get financing for still buying the million dollar house. So it's, it's I just don't, a mental thing. I mean, people think that then it's not worth it and we've had that situation, but you're right. The biggest challenge is that appraisals are done in the rear view, right? And when you're in a rapidly appreciating market or accelerating market, you can't stay up to pace. And so, uh, you know, I want to cut appraisals a little bit of a break. It, you can't make comps appear that don't exist, right? I think a lot, some of what Randy said and the experience we've had is that there's just been a really poor selection of comps and then getting people to change their selection is difficult because then it says that they don't do their job well and nobody ever wants to do that, right? Or admit it. So, but yeah, it's, I think personally, the market sets the price, right? If, if you have, if your house was listed at 900, Joe, or close to it and you got six offers and they're all over, market spoke, 
And that's what it's really worth, whether or not you can get a formal appraisal using old comps to recognize that as the true value. That's a whole nother argument, um, depending on what's available. But the market spoke and buyers are there. You've got a willing buyer, willing buyers, willing seller. We've set the market, right? That, I mean, that's how stock sales work, right? Willing buyer, willing seller, right? Um, and two agents protecting each one, right? Right. Yeah. That's so, one thing that I've I've always disliked about the the appraisal process when when it when the appraiser throws a grenade in a transaction. I'm like, geez, do you know how many hours this listing agent worked with this seller on this and, and valuating it? And then now you've got a willing buyer and a willing buyer's agent, and this guy or gal works on it on their computer yeah. and walks through the house for 30 minutes and then goes, here's your grenade. And that's my biggest problem with it, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. And it's a conveyor belt because they're getting paid four or 500 bucks a report. They're trying to crank these things out like a, a puppy mill, right? So it's like, you can't, they, they cannot possibly spend enough time to really understand these properties. And if it's difficult to comp or to get the value, well, so be it. There you go. Yeah. Thanks AMC. Give me my 500 bucks. I'm out, you know? And you're like, what the hell dude, you know, or gal, whoever it is. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's challenging, but I, I think the overall theme here is, you know, buyers and sellers set the price for the market appraisers, hopefully can frame that price with what's available to them. And sometimes it doesn't happen. So, Well, and back to your point, Joe, and you, you said this earlier, it's, it's a, it's a, this isn't just a seller's market. I saw this somewhere. This is a super seller's market, right? Like this is the seller's market of all seller's markets. So early on, when everybody's going, pick me, pick me, pick me, I, I want your house. This is a tool the seller has to negotiate and, and ensure that the people who are saying, pick me, I want it the most, don't try to change things later on them, regardless of the outcome of you know varying things. Um, right or wrong, it's the environment we're in. And... Um, so to, to answer um, the, the, the question of this post, yeah, I think in most cases, many cases, and, and, and what I would say is in, 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 if the seller can get the, those both waived, they're going to they're gonna try, right? Yeah. If it's available, they're going to take it, right? Yeah. And if the market doesn't present it, then it doesn't present it, right? But yeah. The market yeah. is always right. It's just whether or not we can support it. <laughs> it's an appraisal yeah. in lending, right? So, um, but... All right. Well, I think we made it through a lot of great topics today. We had a lot of you guys on, so we appreciate you guys taking time out of a sunny Friday to listen to us. Uh, for those of you guys that listen to it after, hopefully you enjoyed it as well. But um, this is a good show, guys. A lot of good topics. And uh, Fast you know, and furious. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And uh, glad to see you got your house sold, Joe. And I hope uh, you find a new place to live. You're not houseless, <laughs> as they call it. Um, yeah. Maybe or, one of your LO rentals. <laughs> Maybe I'll, I'll have one coming vacant here shortly. So. Four thousand a month, it's Joe. Legal to, yeah. It's legal to sleep in a park. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna go to Willamette <laughs> Park for a week, and then I'm gonna go to Burnside Park for a week, and uh, you know, it's called camping. Yeah. Yeah. Glamping. Yeah. We'll, we'll glamp it up for you. So, <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you guys again soon on the next one. Thanks again for listening to our show and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.